Welcome to J-Life with Daniel, a new initiative from the Orange County Jewish Life Magazine. I'm your host, Rabbi Daniel Levine. In each installment of the podcast, we'll be going over some recent Jewish news from locally and around the world, speaking to a variety of podcast guests and highlighting important questions that we believe those in the Jewish community should be thinking about and discussing in the weeks ahead. With that in mind, if you or someone you know thinks that you would be a good guest on the podcast, feel free to send me an email at d. L-E-V-I-N-E 21 at gmail.com. For the first episode, however, as we usher in the new year, we wanted to kick off with a reflection of this past year. Namely, what is the year 2021 meant for the global Jewish community, and how will that affect our approach moving forward in the year to come? But before we do that, I wanted to take a step back and talk for a moment about the modality of podcasts. As we know, in recent years, podcasts have proliferated in the media space, almost coming to somewhat replace written word. This reminds me of a fundamental debate in Jewish history, one of, I think, the most interesting inflection points that we've had within our history of people of the book. And that inflection point comes at the outset of what we now know as the Talmud, the Oral Torah. For hundreds of years, Judaism was primarily centered around an oral tradition. An oral tradition obviously centered around commentary on the Torah, but the primary modality of Jewish transmission of texts or the transmission of knowledge from one generation to another was oral and not written. As we know, in 70 CE, when the Roman Empire came in and subsequently destroyed the temple, a group of rabbis, namely Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, sat down and realized that it was time to do something drastic and actually put pen to paper writing down this oral tradition. But this came with consequences. See, an oral tradition has some sort of fundamental plasticity to it. Another way of saying that is, when things are written down, it's oftentimes finalized. It's much harder to change something. It's much harder to even consider new ideas or bounce ideas off of one person to another when something's quote-unquote set in stone or written on paper. The modality of the oral tradition of Judaism, really the modality of podcasting in general, allows people to play around with ideas, allows a conversation to really unfold. This, I think, is the way that Jewish tradition was truly meant to be passed down from one generation to another and from one community to the next. Not necessarily the finalized version of something being written down, but a conversation unfolding across people, across political, across religious, and across sociological differences. Not necessarily meant to one-up and refute each other, but meant to hear the strongest possible configuration of their opponent's position. And that's one of the things that we'll be trying to do on this podcast. We're going to have an array of guests that are here to speak to us about a whole variety of components about Judaism, the Jewish community, and Israel. And everything we say here should be viewed as fodder and inspiration for further conversation. In kicking off this podcast, there are a couple of news stories that I wanted to highlight from this past year. Namely, what should Jews be thinking about as we close out the year 2021 and usher in the new year? Of course, probably the most central story that continues to unfold going into the new year is COVID-19 and the continuous effects that it's having on our community. We know that we had a second round of Jewish holidays of Chagim that had to take place either on Zoom or outdoors with very strict COVID precautions in place. And this highlights fundamental questions. The Jewish community, really the institutional structure of Jewish life, is quickly changing. Are we destined, 
as time goes forward, as the pandemic slowly comes to a close, are we destined to keep in place many of these same constructs that we've created for ourselves during COVID? In other words, in liberal synagogues, is Zoom, is the recording of services, and is the live streaming of high holidays, is that going to be a staple of Jewish life where people in hundreds of years, as they look back to pre-pandemic times, are aghast to hear that that was never such a concept? Or will the changes that we're seeing due to COVID, will they slowly seem to disperse and decrease as COVID ends? This is a story as hopefully the pandemic will slowly come to a close in the year 2022. This is something that I think Jewish institutions all across the board are going to look out for. The widening of communities, the fact that synagogues perhaps all over the country are attracting a much more diverse array of congregants because now somebody can be sitting in New York and zooming into a synagogue in California or vice versa. Is this a fundament of our community here to stay or will this be something that slowly changes as we, quote unquote, go back to normal. On the global structure, perhaps the most interesting story that has unfolded really starting in 2020, but mostly continuing and proliferating throughout 2021, is the Abraham Accords. The Abrahams, of course, is the, the Abraham Accords, of course, is a series of peace treaties that Israel's made with a variety of Gulf, Gulf Sunni Arab states. And this is really the widest peace treaty and most heralded peace deal in Israel in at least 25, 30 years since peace with Jordan. And there's much to unpack and there's much to, un to discuss when we talk about the Abraham Accords. We know that Israel's made peace with the UAE, with Oman, with Bahrain, and a whole variety of Sunni Gulf states are soon to follow, with perhaps the grand prize Saudi Arabia going to unfold sometime in the near future, according to a whole variety of recent articles. This highlights a series of fundamental questions about Israel and America's role within the Middle East, the hegemonic power and desire of Iranian expansion and how Arab countries are now starting to fear Iran more than they're starting to hate the West. But there's a whole bunch of fundamental questions that I think for Israel that become unearthed here. We know that one of the foundations of the Arab world after the 1967 war were the famous three no's that basically stipulated that the Arab world was going to have no contact or no normative relations with Israel until Israel, quote unquote, solves the Palestinian issue. As we see now, Israel having no trouble making peace with a whole variety of Arab countries, whether that be due to the country's fear of Iran, whether that be due to the country's desire to get medical or economic or agricultural help from Israel, whatever the reason is, it's a fundamental question of if there isn't global pressure on Israel to quote-unquote solve the Palestinian issue, is Israel going to feel pressured? Is Israel going to feel motivated? Is Israel going to feel inspired to act regardless of what that action is, whether we're thinking any type of one-state, binational, two-state solution, or any of the options that have been offered in recent years? Or is this going to create some sort of an interesting dynamic where the Palestinian issue is really separate from the rest of the Arab world? This is certainly a question to look out for in the coming year as Israel looks to increase peace with a whole variety of Gulf Sunni states. Of course, the flip side of the story, and perhaps one of the reasons why a lot of these countries are excited to make peace with Israel, is because of the danger of Iranian expansion. We know that Iran is not content with staying in its geographical borders, but Iran slowly in the last couple of decades has been increasing its presence all throughout the Middle East, 
funding a variety of terrorist groups, bankrolling a series of proxy wars, and being one of the largest state sponsors of terrorism, really, in world history. And there's really a fundamental question going into the year 2022, where I believe right now, or in recent days, Biden has been floating around the idea of getting back into the Iranian peace treaty. Now, taking a step back, whether or not we think that peace treaty was a good idea, this does layer bear fundamental questions of whether or not we think that the peace treaty was going to stop Iranian attempts to get a nuclear bomb, whether or not we think Iran is going to do it anyway. And in recent times, we've actually heard discourse from a variety of high-up Israeli officials talking about actually confronting or bombing Iran. It's really one of the first times I could remember that Israel has actually been explicit in the fact that they might resort to military force instead of covertly planning it behind the scenes. And so I think within the wider Middle East, this is certainly going to be a story to look out for in the year 2022 of what Israel's place in the wider Middle East is, how America is going to help, if at all, and what Iran and Israel's relationship is going to be moving forward, if it can, in theory, be solved with any type of American broker deal, or are they destined to some sort of war, whether cold or hot? Staying on Israel just for one moment, of course, in 2021, we saw the May Gaza uprising, which, of course, was a shock for all the citizens of Israel as rockets, thousands of rockets rained upon Israeli civilians over the course of weeks. And we saw a series of bombings from the IDF in Gaza. But for an American Jewish audience, perhaps what was most impactful about the war was the proliferation of anti-Semitism that we actually saw within our own America. Whether we're talking about synagogues being painted with graffiti, whether we're talking about the increase of physical violence against Jews, particularly in places like Los Angeles or New York, or whether we're talking about the fact that social media turned into an utter cesspool of anti-Semitism, the increase of anti-Semitism is something that Jews of almost all stripes, strips and sizes have been talking about. Whether or not that anti-Semitism will increase into the year 2022 if and when Israel does have another uprising with Hamas, if and when Israel does have another uprising with Gaza, if and when Israel has another uprising with Iran, it's an interesting question of how much the anti-Semitism in America is going to be pushed and pulled by events in the Middle East. It's one of, I think, the fundamental issues and one of the reasons why, one of many, but one of the most fundamental reasons why it's impossible to separate anti-Semitism from anti-Zionism. When Israel is attacked, when, there's, when Israel is forced to strike back, when Israel is involved in any conflict, whether or not we view that conflict as morally just or not, it's American Jews that often bear the brunt of other Americans. And this is certainly a story to look out for, as Pew data has showed that more and more Americans are afraid of anti-Semitism each year. And I think the highest proportion of Americans say that anti-Semitism is a current worry for them in the year 2021 than any time in the last generation. And so the increase of anti-Semitism, the wider sentiment of diasporic Jews, because of course this is happening in Europe as well, is certainly a story to look out for in the coming year. The last thing that I wanted to sort of ponder, and this I'll leave as somewhat of an open question, is right around the time that Israel was embroiled in the conflict versus Hamas, we also received the 2020 Pew study, which among a whole variety of things, one of the things that I found was the most interesting, it was actually the subject of a JLife article a number of months ago, 
showed the utter success of the wider Orthodox Jewish movement. I think, according to the Pew Research, Orthodox Jews constitute only 9% of the American Jewish community. So a very small, roughly 1 in 10 American Jews, even fewer, 1 in 11 American Jews, are Orthodox. But if we then zoom into the 18 to 29 age group, that number rises to 17% of all Jews. In other words, the number of younger Orthodox Jews between 18 to 27 is twice as much proportionally as the number of wider Orthodox Jews. One could only imagine the number of Orthodox Jews under 18 is greater, while the number of non-Orthodox Jews, either Reform, Conservative, Reconstructionist, another denomination, or a Jew of no religion, the numbers are steadily decreasing. Now, there are a number of ways to unpack this, and there was a myriad of articles from any ideological vantage point one can imagine. There were arguments and claims that this is only because of the higher birth rate in the Orthodox community. There were articles that claim that this was because of the high assimilation rates and intermarriage rates in the Reform, Conservative, and otherwise non-Orthodox American Jewish community. Yet again, there were other articles that claim that this is partially the success of Kirov movements. One can think of Chabad and Aish and a whole variety of other Orthodox institutions centered around bringing disinvolved, but namely non-Orthodox Jews, to Orthodox Judaism? In my opinion, I think the answer is probably some mixture of all of them. Yes, we can talk about birth rates. Yes, we can talk about assimilation rates. But I actually think that this is a problem that fundamentally implores and challenges the wider liberal American Jewish community to cultivate meaningful institutions and meaningful ideas in the year forward. It's not enough to take a step back and say, well, of course, of course, because of birth rates, of course, because of assimilation rates, this is how the numbers expect to be. If the liberal American Jewish community is scared by these Pew numbers, or not even scared, if this is something that, that baffles them, right? Again, if we take a step back in the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, pundits, both in Israel and in America, were talking about the fact that in two generations, Orthodox Judaism would be gone. This was a real position, a real intellectual position held by Ben-Gurion, we know, with the famous deal that he made with the Haredi control, control over the Rabbanut. It was also a very common American Jewish opinion. I think multiple American Jewish publications, but most notably the Forward, actually ran an article saying something like, the last generation of Orthodox Jews. I think one of the things we've seen from the wider Orthodox community is the identity and the meaning and the warmth that they're able to instill in a next generation of Judaism. They're able to make Judaism something that's meaningful and impactful and actually instilling individuals with an identity. And I think one of the open questions for liberal Jewish institutions in the year to come is going to be, do liberal Jewish institutions have the power to instill people with the identity that they so badly need? You know, just thinking about this age range, under 29 and under, people are starved for identity. So much of the public discourse names, especially your average younger Jew, as general liberal or universal values, which of course is crucial. And I commend and applaud and consider myself to be a part of the liberal American Jewish community because of the highlighting of these liberal and universal values. But the problem on the flip side is you can't construct identity simply through liberal Jewish values. In other words, to have a meaningful Judaism moving forward, 
you need a constant balance, a constant dialectic between universality, but also particularity. In other words, we need to have a constant switch off, a constant trade, a constant balance between universalism and particularism. And my fear is that much of the liberal American Jewish community has given up at a certain point any type of Jewish particularism, ditching rituals, ditching prayers, ditching ideas when they're no longer immediately relevant for easy and captivating universal or social justice issues, which may be successful in the short term, but in the long term doesn't give people that positive identity to actually want to continue identifying with that community long term. And I think in the year 2022, it's going to be really interesting to see how Jewish institutions across the board react to these three challenges that I've laid out, react to COVID and what COVID has done to our institutions, react to the growing anti-Israel and anti-Semitic sentiment that's brewing in the Western world and how Jewish institutions are going to talk about Israel, I think is going to be on trial and it's something we'll certainly be talking about in future episodes. And lastly, can liberal Jewish institutions instill people with positive values moving forward? I'm Rabbi Daniel Levine and I'll be the host of J-Life with Daniel. Again, for our first episode, we were doing something a little bit different. We were reacting to the last year and talking about some open questions to ponder in the year before. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with our very first interview. And again, if you think that if you or somebody you know thinks that you would be a good interviewee for the podcast, feel free to send me an email at dlevine21 at gmail.com. Happy New Year's.